The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. He replied to him, Friend, who appointed me as your judge and arbitrator? Then he said to the crowd, Take care to guard against all greed. For though one may be rich, one's life does not consist of possessions. Then he told them a parable. There was a rich man whose land produced a bountiful harvest. He asked himself, What shall I do? For I do not have space to store my harvest. And he said, This is what I shall do. I shall tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I shall store all my grain and other goods, and I shall say to myself, Now, as for you, you have so many good things stored up for many years. Rest, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this night your life will be demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, to whom will they belong? Thus will it be for all who store up treasure for themselves, but are not rich in what matters to God. The Gospel of the Lord. One of the benefits of being an adult convert to the faith is that the radical nature of these readings are not lost on me. It's not like I grew up listening to them. So when I heard them for the first time as an adult, some of them hit me like a two-by-four. From the first reading, it's one of my very favorites to quote. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. But to be honest, I didn't really understand what it meant, especially when I first started quoting it. Here's an example. I was at a party with some of my very first Catholic friends. It was about 20 years ago. I was baptized just a few months, and the pretense of the party was a card tournament. There were about 50 people there total, very eclectic group. Some were rugby players, some were teachers, nurses. And as I was waiting for my turn to play, I was just meeting new people, introducing myself, and I walked up to a rather attractive, well-put-together young lady, and she asked what I did for a living, which back then was still the question that people ask for some reason. And I explained that I was teaching English to Spanish-speaking elementary school students. And I reciprocated the question as one is wont to do, and she said that she worked at Glamour Shots in the mall. Now, if you don't know what Glamour Shots is or what a mall is, ask someone over 30. <laughs> but I retorted with my favorite line. Vanity of vanities. And she replied, excuse me? And I doubled down. I said, you should not be exploiting the vanity of people messing with their self-image, thinking that they need to get all gussied up in order to be attractive. Now, despite her charm and good looks, she was clearly repulsed by me. <laughs> and it is no wonder that within such a context that I heard the Lord's voice calling me to be a celibate priest. <laughs> now, since then, I've learned a few things about feminine genius and a lot more things about sacred scripture, especially about how I was way off about the vanity of vanities understanding. The original Hebrew word is rather hard to translate. It literally means something like smoke or fog, something that's perceptible but elusive a surface without a substance. 
And this is how it's come down to us to be associated with a vain person, someone who prioritizes the surface appearance above the substance of personality. However, in sacred scripture that we just heard from Ecclesiastes, it's referring to all life. The author is saying, even if we live to be 100 years old, even if we amass great wealth, even if we maintain perfect health, it's a blink of an eye compared to eternity. It is like smoke from a fire which vanishes quickly. It is vanity. Just like the mortality rate of all those who eat Brussels sprouts is still 100%. So many attribute the authorship of Ecclesiastes to Solomon. He is reflecting on his reign as king of Israel. It started so promising and ended so disastrously. So he's thinking back and saying, no matter how hard I tried, no matter how successful I was, I'm going to die just the same. And Solomon is really wrestling with this. What's the meaning and purpose of his own life? It seems a little strange that this open-ended question is in sacred scripture. But it's setting up this deepest and agonizing question to be answered by Jesus. And our Lord picks up on this theme in the gospel. What's the point of it all? Before we go there, I'd like to make an important clarification, especially when it comes to eating, drinking, and being merry. That we as Catholics and as a church throughout the centuries, we've always been caught between two extremes. The extreme of hedonism and puritanism exalting the pleasures of the flesh and denying or suppressing them. And the church has always encouraged us to find the third way. That's why we have a very strong tradition of both feasting and fasting. That's why we're often accused by the hedonists as being puritanical and accused by the Puritans of being hedonistic. It's our struggle as individual Catholics and as a church to embrace this third way. In Puritanical England, Famous author G.K. Chesterton said that Catholicism itself can be likened to a thick steak, a glass of red wine, and a good cigar. I like that. But at the same time, the smoke from that cigar should remind us of the vanity of this world. There is no contradiction, there need not be, between our fasting and our feasting. Now, the gospel this morning, it might seem at first that our Lord is using this parable to say that we should not eat, drink, or be merry, or that we should not have a savings account. It might seem like he is saying that we should fast on bread and water, sleep on the floor, and give everything away. My very first reaction is that those extremes are not contradictory, that we have plenty of people in the church who do just that, plenty of monks and nuns. I was reminded this last spring I was chaplain to a group of confirmandi students, eighth graders. We went to central Italy, saw some of the most amazing things that Christendom has to offer. At the end of the trip, we were sharing graces. So what, was, what impacted you the most? What, what changed you the most? And without fail, every single one of them, a dozen or so eighth graders, they said that that monk we met in Norcia, we just went to the Vatican museums, all these amazing churches in Florence and Siena, Assisi, but it was meeting this monk that made the biggest impression on them, this monk who only eats meat once a year on Easter, this monk who has zero technology in his life, this monk who lives the most austere life imaginable, who came out to greet us, to tell us about his community, who was undeniably filled with peace and joy that this world cannot give. And they were stupefied. How can that guy be so happy? Well, I know. <laughs> it's like, well, it works. 
Right? He was detached from the things of this world. He was connected to God, and this brought him peace and joy. That these monks and nuns who live out the gospel in a radical way are reminders to us, they are signs that all these good things that we live with, they can never truly satisfy us. And to that end, every Catholic is called to practice those same evangelical counsels of chastity, poverty, and obedience, but according to our own state and life. From the diocesan priest who has one foot in the world, to single discerners, married couples, to children, chastity, poverty, and obedience, according to our own state and life. That these help us strike that balance between feasting and fasting. Because for me, anyway, it's a constant struggle to embrace this third way of really enjoying the good things of this world without turning to them as an idol, without being attached to them. It is within this larger context that we can make sense of the gospel today. Because we see the man in the parable, he was already rich. His barns were already full. His fields already produced abundantly. Perhaps Jesus is invoking the memory of Solomon, the man who had everything, and it wasn't enough. He wanted more. He had no concern for anyone but himself. Even in his own dialogue, he's talking to himself, concerned with his own worldly pleasures. St. Basil the Great asked 1,700 years ago about this man. He said, what do we find? We find in him a bitter disposition, a hatred of other people, unwillingness to give. This is the return that he made to his good God. He forgot that we all share the same nature. This man felt no obligation to distribute his surplus to the needy. His barns were full to the point of bursting, but still his miserly heart was not satisfied. The result was a hopeless impasse. Greed would not permit him to part with anything he possessed. And yet, because he had too much, there was no place to store his latest harvest. And so he was incapable of making a decision and could find no escape from his anxiety. St. Basil continues, You who have wealth, recognize who has given you the gifts you have received. Consider yourself who you are, what has been committed to your charge, from whom you have received it, and why you have been preferred to most other people. You are the servant of the good God a steward on behalf of your fellow servant, end quote. So the problem that we see in the man of the parable is not his riches, but his heart. His heart made him greedy and filled him with hate towards those who would threaten his wealth. This heart disease also affected his vision. He could only see what was right in front of his face, or better, he could not see past his own stomach. He could not see his neighbor in need. He could not see that he was made for eternal glory. He could not see why he was given such a rich field, to be a steward and mediator of God's blessing to those around him. There is good news for us who enjoy steak and wine, bacon and bourbon, for these are indeed created gifts that are meant to be vehicles to sharing God's goodness. And Catholicism is unique in the world's religion for maintaining the goodness of the created order, and even saying that this stuff around us is not an impediment to holiness, but is called to be a medium. Like the seven sacraments, they all have two forms, form and matter, the words and the stuff. That water, wine, oil, bread, these visible materials that are transformed to impart invisible grace. 
It doesn't just stop with the seven capital S sacraments. For all of creation is called to be sacramental. Not just rosary beads and pictures and statues, but steak, bourbon, forests, rivers. They're not just made for our bodies to enjoy, but to be spring boards for our souls to soar to God. In the same breath, as, as amazing as all this stuff is, it's like smoke of a cigar. It's vanity. It can merely scratch the surface of satiating our infinite desires. And Catholicism is unique for pointing out this third way. So ultimately this morning, we would do well to ask, do these things around me, do they bring me closer to God or are they distractions? Do they inspire generosity or selfishness? The man in the parable was called foolish because his riches were an obstacle to being rich in what really matters. So as much as I love the good things of this world, I need to constantly be sure that they are a bridge, not an obstacle to God. I need to examine what sort of dividends they're paying off in my life, if they're actually making me rich in what matters to God. Which is why we have fast days. We need these reminders that we are living for so much more than creature comforts. That these are all ultimately vanities of vanities. So we fast to realign our vision and our priorities. We fast, not because bacon is bad, but because it's good. But God is infinitely better, both in himself and as the giver of these gifts. So we fast to take our attention away from the gift and to rightly put it back onto the giver. And fasting and feasting go together. Obviously not on the same day, but that's why our mother, the church, gives us a liturgical calendar. That we don't have to reinvent the wheel, but simply live the pattern of the church's liturgy. We can start by feasting every single Sunday and really fasting every Friday. So this Mass as we offer the good things of bread and wine to our Heavenly Father, and he transforms them to become the real, true, and substantial body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. We are reminded that the entire world and every created thing is made to remind us of the Maker that all of these things are good because of the infinite goodness of their origin. May our hearts and minds be elevated through creation to rise to the creator. May we not allow ourselves to be content with vanities. May we not be content with the passing things of this world, but allow ourselves to pass through them to eternal delights. May the prayers of the Blessed Virgin Mary help us to recognize the goodness of our bodies as we receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of her son today. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever.